Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. I think the, the situation that we're in now with the coronavirus pandemic is a lot like what happened to a, a Boeing 777 jet that was getting ready to take off and fly from Las Vegas, Nevada to London Gatwick Airport. And on that day in September 2015, as the jet was preparing for takeoff and, and actually taxiing down the runway, it began to burst into flames and flames were engulfing the fuselage and smoke was billowing from the plane. The plane was able to stop and they began immediately evacuating people from the burning plane. And as cameras were watching the plane, folks on the news and other folks as they were watching this, they were were startled, not just by this passenger plane with 170 some people aboard this passenger plane bursting into flames and all this smoke they were not only startled by this this calamity but they were startled even more by the number of people who stopped fleeing from the plane in order to grab their luggage from the overhead bin they were actually absolutely shocked by that Now, the Federal Aviation Administration has said that everybody should be able to evacuate a burning plane in about 90 seconds. And so that's why they have those doors. That's why they have slides, those inflatable slides that turn into rafts. And they have all this type of stuff, and it's designed that if everybody immediately unbuckles their seatbelts, gets up out of their seats, walks down the aisle, goes through the door, and jumps down that slide, everybody on that plane should be able to evacuate in about 90 seconds. But there was a a pilot that commented on this calamity, and there was also a FAA controller in Chicago that commented on the calamity, and they made the observation that if every person on that plane took five seconds, only five seconds, to grab their luggage from the overhead bin and then carry it down the crowded aisle and get off the plane, it would actually add seven more minutes to the total evacuation time. It would take eight and a half minutes for everybody to get off that plane. Who would die in the smoke? And imagine if you were the one at the end of the line and you've been standing there in that cabin trying to get out, engulfed with smoke, threatened by flames, and you're the last one to get off. Sometimes we don't know how to find safety. Sometimes we can't escape because we're too worried about grabbing our luggage our baggage, and carrying it along with us. The coronavirus is making us think twice about the stuff we're carrying through life, the baggage that we have, the stuff that we're trying to accumulate. And it's making us stop and ask what's most important. Now, I know we're asking a lot of questions when it comes to the pandemic. We're asking, you know, am am I sick? We feel a little ache or pain. Maybe we feel a little hot. You know, am I coming down with it? We're worried about our loved ones. Are they okay? Where are they at? Are, Are they safe? We're worried about our economy. We're worried about our retirement. We're worried about if there's going to be eggs in the stores or toilet paper that we're trying to buy. We're worried about our financial well-being, our health well-being. 
We're worried about are we going to be able to have that party or that get together, that wedding, that graduation that we want to have, these social events where we connect and celebrate with other people. Pastor Josh announced just a moment ago that we've had to cancel our public Easter Resurrection Sunday service here. And, and we'll be doing it online, as he said. But that's a loss. That's something that, that in my, all my years as a pastor and all my years as following Jesus, I've never missed an Easter service in the community of the faithful and the body of Christ. And so it's just another loss, another thing that we've had to give up this season of sacrifice during the pandemic. All these things hurt. All these questions are hard and all these questions are difficult to answer. But this one question is the most important question that we have to wrestle with. What's most important in life? And it's actually the question of Jesus that we need to wrestle with and answer today. Now, I want to remind you, in case you've forgotten, that Jesus asked over nearly 340 questions during his earthly ministry as you read through the gospel accounts of his life. And Jesus was asking these questions in order to get the attention of his readers and listeners, his audience, and he was trying to provoke them to think more deeply about who he is as Lord and Savior. That he's more than just a miracle worker, that he's more than just a, a great rabbi or teacher, that he's more than some religious figure that we should idolize. More than that, he is Savior and God. He is Lord of all, and we need to trust him. In fact, the questions that Jesus asks are, are designed to provoke us in such a way that we actually come away thinking that Jesus is the question. That he's the question, he's the most important thing that we need to answer in life. What do we do with Jesus? Who do we say he really is? And in the passage of scripture that Dawn read for us just a little while, while ago in Matthew chapter 16, in the middle of this teaching about what it means to really be one of Jesus' fully devoted followers, Jesus asks the question, and the question is just simply this. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And in case we didn't get that question, he probes even further and asks, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Those two questions, when you boil down what Jesus is asking, are simply this, what is most important to you in your life? What are the priorities you, you, that you have? What's most valuable to you? Is it the luggage in the overhead bin or is it getting out of the plane without burning up or, or asphyxiating from smoke? What's most important to you? We would say, oh, of course it's escaping from the fire, but yet we delay grabbing our carry-on luggage. We say, well, of course it's saving my soul and having a relationship with God now and forever. But we hold on to this other stuff and we spend our time and we spend our energy and we spend our money investing in all these other things that distract us from following Jesus and really making him Lord of all, the king of everything in our lives. And what Jesus is trying to say here by asking this question, what can you give in exchange for your soul? What does it profit you if you gain everything but you lose your soul? By asking that question, he wants us to face reality 
and stop denying. And he wants us to say, this is really what's most important to me. And so with that question front and center in our thinking, I want us to look through this passage and just walk through it. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. But what Jesus does here is he challenges disciples, this is what it means to follow me. And then he explains why we need to do this. This is how you follow me, and this is why you need to do it. And he gives us three good reasons why we need to follow him. Now the context is, is what he's been this encounter that he's had with his disciples in chapter 16. And I need to tell you that several weeks ago when we were talking about the vision that the Lord has given the chapel and we were looking at the life of Peter, we talked about how Peter needed to grow as a disciple and he needed to learn who Jesus really is, that he's the king of everything and how Peter understood that, yes, Jesus is the, the Christ the son of the living God. He truly is the Messiah, the one that, the, that everyone is waiting for to be the king of everything. But then when Jesus began to explain that he was about to die on the cross and he was gonna give up his life in that way and uh, lose his life in such a shameful, humiliating way, Peter interrupts him and says, Lord, that's not so, may it never be. And that's when Jesus famously says, Peter, you're Satan, get behind me. Get behind me. And when Jesus is telling Peter to get behind me, he says, Peter, you've come out in front of me. You're telling me what to do. You're telling me to follow you and your plan. But Peter, you need to start following me. Get in line behind me and go my way. If you truly believe I'm the Messiah, the king of everything, then you need to start following me. Get in behind me and go my way instead of telling me what to do being Lord over me. You submit to my leadership. You let me be the Lord and master of your life and go my way. So after this big blunder that Peter makes, and really not just Peter, but all the disciples there, and not just Peter and all the disciples, but me and you as we go through life, we think we know what's best. We often tell God what to do instead of submitting to his will. Jesus would say to us and asking this question about what's important, he's challenging us, this is really what it means to follow me. And I tell you, friends, that this coronavirus crisis is causing us to think, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Because all the things that we follow in life, like our wealth, like our health, like our social networks, all these things are being taken away from us. And it's a reminder that what we really need and what can never be taken away from us is Jesus Christ. So we must trust and follow him with everything we've got. So listen to what Jesus says. This is what it means to follow him. Listen carefully in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There is Jesus' description of what a true disciple of Jesus is. This is what they do. And you'll notice several important things in this verse. He starts off with this little statement, if somebody wants to follow me. And the words that he's using there, he's stating, 
I do believe you want to do this. I do believe as you're listening to me, I do believe that you're here with me. I do believe you're hearing this sermon and reading this scripture that probably deep down inside, this is really what you want. You recognize that what you want more than anything is to follow me, to let me be the Lord and leader, the king of everything in your life. This is really what you want. But the if implies that there is a bit of a choice. And maybe you will, maybe you won't, but Jesus is assuming that you will. So he says, if this is really what you want, if this is really what you want, that you want to follow me, you want to make me the king of everything in your life, this is what needs to happen. The first thing that he says needs to happen is this. He says, let this person, this individual, let them deny themselves. It's interesting that he gives this as a command and he states it in such a way that it's not just you all need to do this, but he's emphasizing that each individual person has a responsibility to do this. Each individual man or woman, boy or girl, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what's been happening in their life, they need to choose to do this. And they must choose, if they're going to follow Jesus, they first must choose to deny themselves. And that just simply means this, that we say no to our will, we say no to what we want, we say no to putting ourselves first, we say no to our pleasure, say no to our privileges, say no to our rights, and we let all that go. It's saying I don't have to grab the baggage out of the overhead bin. I can let go of that. And I'll deny myself. I refuse to make myself the center of my life. Instead, I want Jesus to be the center. It begins with denying ourselves. And then he says, it's not only negatively denying ourselves and refusing to make ourselves the center of our lives, but he goes further than, than that. And he says, let this individual deny himself and and, and on top of that, he needs to pick up his cross. He needs to take up his cross. And again, he says it the same way. In a sense, he's saying, let him take up his cross. And again, he's emphasizing that this is a command and this is an individual responsibility. It's not just you all need to pick up your cross, but he's being very specific. The man, the woman, the boy, the girl that wants to be my disciple, yes, they must deny themselves. Yes, they can't let themselves be the center of their lives any longer, but instead they have to pick up their cross. Now, what does that mean? Well, he's not talking about that we need to pick up a cross like a piece of jewelry or we need to pick up a cross like some sort of religious ritual that we need to carry. When Dawn and I visited Jerusalem last month on our tour of, of Israel, the Holy Land, we had the privilege of one afternoon actually walking through the old city of Jerusalem. And as we were walking up the Via Della Rosa, which is the traditional path that Jesus followed from his trial and condemnation and beating as he carried his cross outside the city to Golgotha, where he was executed by being nailed to the cross, the traditional path that supposedly he followed. 
It may or may not have been that path. It may have been another route. But that's traditionally the route. And as we were walking up that very crowded, narrow pathway through the city, we saw pilgrims, actually a group of Christians from Greece. And they were visiting the Holy Land on a pilgrimage. And as they were worshiping Jesus as Almighty God, that's what their t-shirt said, as they were worshiping him as the all-powerful creator, they were actually carrying a wooden cross. It looked like it was made out of two-by-fours and stained with dark uh, varnish or something. And they were just carrying this wooden cross, some on one end and some on the other end, and about four or five of them carrying this cross up through the streets, just slowly walking, singing their prayers and chanting in Greek and giving their worship to God in that way. And it was very moving to see them carrying the cross in that regard. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. See, you and I can wear jewelry and we can even have a holy Good Friday stations of the cross type of service and we carry a cross in that way. But that's not what he's referring to. He's also not referring to some burden or some hardship that we have to endure. An argumentative child, a loved one who is sick, losing our jobs. Those are not our crosses that we must bear, those types of things. What Jesus is talking about is saying, not only will I not do my will, Lord, I've denied myself, but I am going to do your will, even if it kills me. I'm going to obey you and do your will, even if it leads me to die on a cross. You see, Peter, James, and John, the other disciples that are listening to Jesus explain what it really means to follow him. He's just said, I'm about to die. And Peter reacted to that. I react to that. The disciples reacted to that. But Jesus is clarifying, no, I am going to die and I'm going to suffer all these things and be humiliated in this way. And then he's saying, by the way, if you're going to follow me, you need to be willing to go through the same thing. You see, Peter, James, and John, the disciples, the readers of the first century, they saw the Romans occupying their countries. And they understood that the way that the Romans tried to control those who were criminals and rebels was that they would condemn them and crucify them. And so it was a common experience for people in the cities to see condemned criminals, rebels, terrorists being executed on the cross. And they would see these criminals marching out with Roman soldiers guarding them. They would be carrying the cross pieces, the horizontal pieces of the cross. The patibulum, it's called in Latin. And that horizontal cross piece, they would be carrying that over their soldiers, trudging to the execution site, or carrying it this way, carrying it to the execution site. And they would be doing that as part of the humiliation of suffering for their crimes. And then once at the site, they would be nailed to that cross piece or tied to that cross piece, and that cross piece would be lifted up and then nailed to the vertical piece that was already in the ground. And they would hang there and suffer there and die there. It was an excruciating, painful, humiliating form of execution. It was a dreadful way to die. And on top of all that, as they would be carrying that cross piece to their execution, people would line the streets, jeering at them, 
throwing things at them, mocking them, humiliating them. It was not uncommon even for people that were carrying their cross to be attacked by the mob and beaten up, maybe even killed before they got executed, lynched, if you will. Jesus is saying, you need to be willing to take the Father's will even if it leads to death. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to die in your place. Are you willing to obey me to the point that even if it kills you, you'll be faithful to me? And then Jesus explains very clearly that not only is it this command that I must deny myself and I must take up my cross. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to do that. But then he says, let him deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And the thing that's interesting here is that it's a command. Yes, it's the individual responsibility. It's a command that we must do this. Each of us has this responsibility to do. But then he says it in such a way that let him keep on following me. This is to be the daily practice that we would say no to our will and yes to God's will. No to my will, yes to God's will. No to what I want to do. I no longer make myself the center of my life, but I make God and his will the center of my life. I want to do his will above everything else. And I keep on doing that moment by moment and day by day. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not just joining a church. Following Jesus is not just praying a prayer at a crusade or some other evangelistic meeting. Praying a prayer is not just signing a card and saying, I I want to join this church or I want to be baptized or I want to uh, believe in Jesus. It's more than that. It's a moment by moment, day by day, surrender. Not my will, but yours be done. It's exactly what Jesus modeled when he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it's possible, take this cup, this impending death, this judgment, take it away from me. Yet nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus denied himself and picked up his cross and followed the will of his Father. And he did that to save you and to save me. That's why he did this. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Now he explains then, beginning in verse 25, why do we need to do this? Why is it worth following Jesus this way? Why is it worth denying ourselves when everything around us tells us to stand up for our rights and fight for ourselves and fight for what we believe and assert ourselves in this way. Why do we stop doing that? And why do we surrender to God's will, doing his work, going his way, believing and trusting in him instead of our own way? Why do we do that? Well, here's why it's worth following Jesus continually. Because notice what he says 
in verse 25. And really, verses 25, 26, and 27, Jesus tries to shake up our perspective, our point of view. And he says, if you just keep looking at earth, you'll never see why it's worth following Jesus. But if you look at heaven and you recognize the future, if you see what's coming, it's infinitely worth it to follow Jesus. Nothing compares to following Jesus in its value as long as you have a heavenly perspective. He starts off by just reminding us here in verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here's the paradox. This is the, the heavenly paradox, the eternal paradox here. Jesus says, and this is this, and you know what a, a paradox is. A paradox is two things that seem like opposites, they're contradictory, and yet they're both true. And on the, the one hand, he says, if you try to preserve your life, if you try to save it by amassing wealth, gaining health, gaining all these social connections and trying to be the friend of everybody and not make anybody mad, if you try to do that, you will actually lose your life. And the thing that's shocking about the word lose your life, it's not like I lost my keys and I can't find them. It's you'll actually destroy your life forever. That's what he's saying. So if I try to preserve my life and save it in this lifetime while I'm here on earth, I will actually forfeit and lose my life and destroy it forever in the next and then he says, here's another paradox. He says simply this, but if you're willing to lose your life, and Jesus clarifies here, if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, on behalf of me, for my will, my work, my gospel, if you're willing to lose your life for me, you know, you've picked up that cross, doing my will, even dying for me. If you're willing to do that, and you lose your life for me, you will actually save it. You will preserve your life for all eternity. There's this big shift here in understanding what's valuable. Where's true security? Where's true happiness? Where's true life? It's not in saving our lives here in this world, making the compromises, choosing to serve ourselves, using our own common sense without following the will of God. That's not how we save our life. We'll actually forfeit our lives and destroy it forever. But if we choose to give up our lives for Jesus, doing his will day by day, we will actually save our lives. It's a paradox. That's the first reason why it's worth following Jesus' way. The great paradox of it's in losing our lives for Jesus that we actually save them. But then in verse 26, he asks the questions. And these are the questions that kind of caught our attention here at the beginning of the service. What's most important in life? And so here to help us have a heavenly perspective, he asks these two questions about what has eternal value. We've had eternal paradoxes here, eternal values. What's truly valuable when it comes to eternity? And so he asks us in verse 26, for what does it profit? What will it profit a man, a person, whoever they are, if he gains the entire world and forfeits his soul? Or what will he give in return or in exchange for his soul? This double question that he's asking here, he's, 
he's reminding us here that really if you stop and look at it, even if you could gain everything that there is, you had all the wealth of every kingdom in every country. You had the wealth of every corporation and every billionaire and gazillionaire that's out there in this world. If you owned everything in this world and it was all your possessions, you could do with it whatever you wanted. Everyone served you, everyone bowed down to you, every comfort, every pleasure, every security that you were longing for. Everything you needed and everything you wanted was yours. If you had all of that, Jesus says, that still is not enough compared to the worth and value and weight of your soul. Your own soul, your life with God is infinitely more valuable than everything that there is in this world that you could possibly own. Your life with God is more valuable than that. And he just clarifies this. And he's saying, in case you don't get this, what can you give in exchange for your soul? What can you trade for your soul? What can you do that? And people have speculated over the years, there was a short story in a play written about the devil making a deal with someone. And, you know, if you give me prosperity, anything I wanted for the next 10 years, I'll give you my soul. And they've tried to figure out, you know, just kind of humorously, how much is the worth and value of a soul? And that's not what Jesus is trying to say here. He's trying to say this. There is nothing you could own there's no experience you could have. There's no relationship that could be yours. There is nothing that you could have that compares to losing your soul with God. Your life with God is more valuable than anything else. And we often fail to see that because we focus only on what's around us right now. My belly's empty and I've got hunger pangs. I need food. That's what's most important. I'm sick. I need healing. I've got pain. I need relief. That's what's most important. I'm lonely. I'm afraid. I need comfort. I need another person. That's what's most important. I'm worried about the future. I'm anxious about tomorrow. I need more money. I want to be loved. I want to love. I want to experience all these things. I need other people. And we make compromises and we make choices and we make decisions to guarantee those things even if they're often against God's will. And they go against his plan. And we make these moral and ethical compromises along the way. And Jesus is saying, if you truly want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself and take of your cross. You've got to say no to your will and say yes to God's will. And you need to do that always and not make these fatal decisions of compromise that lead to sin and lead to you losing your life with God. There is nothing more valuable than your life with God. And there's something else he's trying to say by this question. Because it's not only that your life is more valuable than anything that you could have, anything you could possess, any relationship you could have, any experience you could have, any power control that you could have, it's greater than that, more valuable than that. But there's something else Jesus is saying here. And that is simply this. There is only one person that can pay the price for your soul. And it's not you, and it's not me, and it's not anything in this world. But it's Almighty God, your Creator. 
He can pay the price for your soul. He has the value and worth that can make your life with him his possession. And he gave that price. He paid that price when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He allowed the burden of God's judgment to be poured out upon him on the cross. And he died in our place. And though he's the king of everything, he was willing to suffer and die for you and for me. And he paid the infinite price through his death, the perfect sinless son of God, sacrificing himself for us. He paid that infinite price for you and for me so that our soul could become God's possession and that we could belong to him for all eternity. When he prayed, not my will, but yours be done, he was doing that to save you and I, to make us the children of God. So here's this question, these questions that we need to wrestle with. What does it profit if we gain everything and we lose our soul? And the thing is, there's no profit in that whatsoever. What can you give and trade for your soul? What could you give to exchange for your soul? There's nothing more valuable than your soul. There's nothing even of equal value to your soul. There's nothing you can give. Only God can save your soul. Only he can purchase it and make it his and make you belong to him for all eternity. So trust in Jesus and follow him who paid that price. But he finishes this section with a third thing that inspires us to follow Jesus this way, to keep trusting him and keep obeying him and keep saying no to my will and yes to his will. What encourages us to keep going and doing that day by day, following Jesus, is what he says here in verse 27. For the Son of Man, this is a word of hope, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay, literally he will reward each person according to what he has done. And so here's some eternal hope, again, that comes from this heavenly perspective that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's returning in glory. This son of God who died on the cross for our sins, this one who suffered and died in this way, he's coming back, the son of man, in the glory of his father with all his holy angels, the armies of angels from heaven to earth to set up his kingdom. And he's coming not just with glory and not just with angels, but he's coming bringing his reward, his payment for those who have faithfully followed him. It's worth it to follow Jesus this way. There's nothing more important in this life that should keep you from following Jesus. There's payment coming, a reward, and Jesus is bringing it. Eternal life with him forever. The never-ending love and approval of God. Infinite forgiveness and acceptance with him peace with him. All of this is ours. This is his reward. This eternal life in his kingdom is ours because Christ is coming back and it's ours if we faithfully follow him. Saying no to our will and saying yes to his will even if it kills us. 
And we keep doing that day after day after day. The question that Jesus asked, what's most important in life? What can you give in exchange for your life with God? He's saying it's worth following me. There's nothing more important. I am coming back. And I will settle the score by overthrowing all your enemies. I will settle the score and make everything broken right. I will fix all that's wrong and make it right. I will do this. I will bring perfect justice and perfect mercy. I will pour out my grace and sustain you today and tomorrow and forever. You will be mine and I will be yours for all eternity. I'm your reward. And you can never lose me if you're willing to trust me and follow me. Now Jesus says in verse 28, truly, or amen, I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And what this verse is referring to, the promise that Jesus is giving here, is expanding on this idea of Jesus coming back, the, the promise we have, the hope that we have, that he will come and bring his reward, that we won't be left shortchanged. That he's saying that, that there are people standing here that are going to be alive, and they're going to see this happen. And I believe what he's referring to, at least a hint of it, a foreshadowing of his coming is revealed in chapter 17 when Jesus is on a high mountain with Peter, James, and John and they see Jesus glorified, transfigured in their midst and they hear the voice of God, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him, pay attention to him. That's a foreshadowing of Jesus coming in his glory. But Jesus also showed his glory on the cross, believe it or not. That shameful broken bloody mess of his body on the cross we see the glory of god there his glorious love his glorious grace being poured out for us his glorious forgiveness poured out upon us there through christ's death we see him triumphantly overcoming death on resurrection sunday we see his glory there. We see his glory in his ascension. We see his glory in giving the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We see his glory in executing judgments on the nation. We see his glory as the, the church shares the gospel all around the world. And more and more people become followers of Jesus no matter the cost. Because having Jesus is worth it. He's worth more than anything else in this life. Jesus is the question we have to answer. What's most important to you? Is it Jesus? Are you willing to trust him and say no to your will and yes to his will, even if it kills you? Are you willing to follow him every day, no matter what? This challenges and convicts me. But that's what all of Jesus' questions do. They unsettle me. They trouble me. They keep me awake. But they're questions that must be answered. Jesus is saying to you and I that there is no one more important than him. And there's nothing that we could do that's more important than following Jesus. And my prayer for you and me during this coronavirus pandemic, and not just now, but all the time, my prayer is that we would surrender to him 
No to my will. Yes to God's will, no matter the cost. There is nothing more important than following Christ Jesus, the King of everything. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you that wherever we are listening to your word and bowing now in prayer today, I thank you that you are hearing us and you're listening to us. And I thank you for these words of Jesus that we have read and talked about this morning. I thank you that they are a reminder as we hear this question, what does it profit? What can you gain by collecting everything that there is in this world and yet at the same time we forfeit our soul? There is nothing more important than Jesus. Nothing more valuable than having him. I pray that, Lord, now we would each humble ourselves and reach out and trust him. And while we're continuing in prayer, let me just speak to you briefly. If today you look at your life and you realize that you have made other things more valuable, you've treated other people, other experiences, other possessions more valuable than Jesus, would you admit that to God? Ask for his forgiveness. And right now, could you let go of them and take Jesus? Ask him for the courage to say no to your will and the continued courage to say yes to his will and for the strength to do that today, then tomorrow, then the next day. Many of us have prayed a prayer and said we're now a Christian or we've, we've raised our hand or gone forward in a church service and now I'm a Christian. Jesus is saying if you truly are a Christ follower, this is what you look like. You give up your will to do my will, even if it kills you. And you do this every day and never stop. And it's worth doing that because you have me, Jesus says. I'm the treasure that's more valuable than anything you could gather, collect, and hoard in this world. My friend, will you trust in Christ? Will you believe in him and rely on him and follow him? I pray that you would do so today. Lord, I ask you to hear our prayers that we would trust in you, that we would follow you because there's nothing else more important than you. We pray this in your name. If you're following this message on the chapel website, littlestownchapel.org, there should be at the bottom of your screen a button that you can click to indicate that you're trusting Christ. And if you do that, you'll be put in contact with someone that you can chat with, and they can set you up 
to have a conversation with somebody here from the church and they can explain what it really means to follow Jesus and make sure that he's the king of everything in your life. If you're following on Facebook, I want to encourage you, and this is, this is a bit challenging because everybody's watching this and this is hard, but maybe in the, the comments section, you would want to say, you would want to say, I want to trust in Jesus. Can somebody show me how? And someone from the chapel will be in touch with you shortly to help you see what it means to really trust in Christ. They'd love to pray with you and encourage you as you begin following Christ. God bless you, my friends, today. I'm so thankful that you could be part of our worship service today. Remember, Jesus is more valuable than anything else in this world, and nothing compares to him, and he's worth following more than anyone and anything else. God bless you.